Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 19 this morning. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses there. Luke 19, verse number 1 says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was a chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was of little stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste, and he came down, and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, That he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus answered, said, This day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. You've provided it to us, your church. You've promised us in your word that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Lord, help us as your church to stand firm in that truth and not to allow our own apathy our own longing for temporal things above eternal things, allow those things to cause the church to be weak. Lord, help us, as you've said, the gates of hell will not prevail. Help us to stand strong as mighty warriors and to march as the army of the Lord as we prepare for the return of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father, I ask your blessing upon this time as we go to the word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate our eyes. Feed us, your church, the word today that we might grow. Help us to be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Thank you for his righteousness. Lord, thank you for your love. We pray this through Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we continue our study through Luke's gospel, Today we consider this account of Jesus and a man named Zacchaeus. I want us to spend our time halved today, first looking at the man Zacchaeus, then secondly looking at Jesus and his dealings with this man. It is unique here that we find so close to chapter 18, a very wealthy man being dealt with because we just finished in chapter number 18, the account of the rich young ruler, a man who was told to leave all and follow Jesus, and he left sad because he wanted eternal life, but he wasn't willing to pay that price. Look back with me in chapter 18, verse 22. Let's review those verses very briefly. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? Very helpful passage of Scripture, as we would say in the first world in 2022 that all of us are rich. We're all very rich given the standard of living in Jesus' day then. In fact, we would say we're kings 
in that regard. And Jesus makes the point here that those who have so much in this life have a hard time embracing eternal life because they are so satisfied with what they have in this life. In fact, the key might be to abandon all to follow Christ. And he said, but this is impossible with men. It's so impossible. It'd be like trying to fit something like a camel, the largest animal that he could bring to their minds and getting it through the smallest hole he could bring to their minds, the, the needle's eye. Well, they, they ask a good question there up against that. Well, who can be saved? Jesus gives a great answer to that. That with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things will be possible. Now, he's just taught that. And then in verse number 19, we see Jesus live out this account with Zacchaeus. Now, who knows about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a what? And a wee little man was he. (laughs) He climbed up in a... For the Lord he wanted to see. But the Lord said, Zacchaeus, because... All right, I don't have to preach. We're done. We just press and get the chili out. Let's go. <laughs> if you don't know that song, or you don't know what we were doing there. We're not a weird cult. <laughs> well, maybe we are a little bit. That's a children's song that we a lot of us learned as, as little kids. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. I don't, is that offensive in today's world? I don't know. People have called me big all my life. It doesn't offend me, so I don't get it. These disciples ask this question. It's a question we must all consider. Who then can be saved? In chapter 19, this is a statement that is fully realized with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. No doubt he's an incredibly rich man, but he has changed. And we find here then an illustration of what Jesus said will become possible. A rich man who gets through the eye of the needle. What a wonderful thought that is, because here you and I sit and we want to be saved. We want our loved ones to be saved. We want our neighbors to be saved. We don't we're like God. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But at times it seems like it's an impossibility. How many of you be honest with your church family this morning and be willing to publicly raise your hand and say there's a family member or someone really close to me in my life that it almost seems impossible that they're ever going to get saved? I think we have that. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. It's as hard as a camel getting through the eye of a needle, but God is able to do that. Now, why we don't have the faith to believe that God is able to do that is simple. Because we don't have to get up every morning and go find manna that God has provided for us to eat. We just go to the cupboard and there it is. Or if it's not there, we... Run across the street. It's a normal thing in our lives that Shanae and I play paper, rock, scissors and decide who's running to chapels to, to get eggs. Not really, but it makes a good illustration. We're awfully blessed people. So we've gotten away from the supernatural of God. We've gotten away from the miraculous of God. On the most important thing, which is that God can save anybody. He saved you. He saved me. Let's consider this man, Zacchaeus. Verse 1 and 2, we read that as Jesus is passing through Jericho, there's a man named Zacchaeus. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. He was rich. So this man is the chief tax collector. 
Jericho was a prosperous trading center. Zacchaeus probably oversaw a large tax district because of that. And so he would have been a man who had other tax collectors working for him. Now, in their day and age, you understand that the way a tax collector made his living was by skimming. So if, you know, John Doe came and he was a a goat herder and he owed $100 in taxes, well, then he was charged $110 in taxes. The Roman government got the 100 and the tax collector got 10. And the better he could skim, the more money he could make. But nevertheless, he never earned any of this. He earned it off of other people's wages. And they, they were just seen as just scum. The people didn't like them because of the way they overtaxed. Now, a man who is overseeing tax collectors, we would presume then, is skimming from the skimmers. So all of his guys, are, his little cronies are overtaxing people. And then he's taxing them. Well, they have more money than the goat herders and the guys who bought and sold in the markets. So these tax collectors would have been among the most wealthy, and then this guy was taxing those. So this is Zacchaeus. He's a wealthy man. Luke says so. Says he was rich. Just kind of an odd statement there, isn't it? Sort of bad manners in our day. There was a man named Zacchaeus, chief among the publicans. He's rich. You don't don't say that in today's world. You don't say this is John Doe. He works for TDOT. He's rich. That was my dad. My dad worked for the Georgia Department of Transportation growing up. Now, as a boy, you kind of wanted to be proud of dad. and You wanted to say something to your friends that meant something. What does your dad do? I would say he's the county maintenance foreman for the Georgia Department of Transportation. Now, why, why did I enunciate that? He has people that work for him. He doesn't work for people. You know, to me, that, that meant something. My dad is a leader of men. Luke points this out here, though. He says it. It's ultimately important in our understanding of this story. He, he could have, we, we get it just by saying he was chief among the publicans. But to add these three little words to the end brings us to this point of understanding that this is a man who filled like, who filled like, oh man, pray, pray for my grammar. I've been hanging out with a Mississippi preacher all week, all right? <laughs> I'm not going to talk really slow to you this morning and really make you think about things like Brother Sable. He really drove home the points to us this week. I'm the opposite. I go high speed. Boom, 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 boom. This is a man who felt like he could accomplish what he wanted in life. He could get what he needed. He could do what he wanted to do. He could manage people. He could manage funds. He, he even managed an occupying army who had taken over their area. They had conquered his people, but he managed to find a way to be in rule and authority among the conquerors. A very self-sufficient man. This is what Luke is communicating to us when he says, and he was rich. Now in verse number three, we learn three additional details about Zacchaeus. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and he could not for the press because he was of little stature. Now this is not... A nice proof text for you to be mad about at the media in the world today. But it is a good way to think about what is happening here when they say he could not for the press. That when we see press today, maybe some guy's trying to leave the courthouse and everybody wanting a statement from this guy. And all of these people with cameras and microphones are gathered around this guy and they're crowding in. Do you want to say anything? No comment. No comment. We would say all the press, the paparazzi, whatever, you know. 
The same idea here. I don't think these were news reporters, but they were bystanders who wanted to see Jesus. Zacchaeus, why couldn't he see Jesus? He wasn't important enough? Nope. He wasn't wealthy enough? No. What's the reason in verse 3? Yeah, he was a wee little man. The three things we learn about him here is that he wanted to see Jesus. He couldn't see him because there were so many people. And then I'm going to get you to a third point here, but I want to let that be a cliffhanger. He's interested in this man that he's no doubt heard of. Luke doesn't lead us to think that this is a spiritual interest. He's not blind and seeking his sight. He's not unable to walk and he wants to be healed. He's not even the rich young ruler who says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He just wants to see Jesus. Jesus is a celebrity and he has an interest. Now, to put you in the timeline of what's going on here in Jesus' life, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead in a town called Bethany, which would be about 15 miles away from where they are here. Now, before that, he already had fame as a healer and a teacher, but now he has raised his friend from the dead. A man who had been buried long enough that Lazarus' sisters said, Jesus, you're too late. He already stinks. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. This guy's coming to your town. You, you want to go see. So here's a sinful man with non-spiritual reasons who has taken an interest in Jesus. And so you don't have to know any more doctrine to know how that story ends. Anytime we find a sinful person with non-spiritual reasons who begins to take an interest in Jesus, what does Jesus do to them? He saves them. Every time. And that's what's going to happen here. Now the second thing we learn is not just that he wants to see Jesus, but that he couldn't see him because there were so many people. He sought to see Jesus, but he could not for the press. Now we're going to get to the physical limitations next, but I want you to consider the social element that we find in the text. Here is a wealthy man with status in this community. Now you might not have liked him. You might have hated how he made his living, but he still made his living. He still lived in a nice house. He still was a mover and shaker in this community. But nobody gets out of his way to meet a dignitary, to meet an important visitor. Zacchaeus, though rich and important in a sense, was still regarded negatively by the people around him. Look at verse 7. When they saw it, they all murmured, saying, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. And he got down to go to his house in a hurry. And they all murmured and said that Jesus was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. They felt like they were in a better position to spend time with Jesus than Zacchaeus was. Now this is certainly something Jesus can fix. Verse 27 of chapter 18, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. In fact, before this story ends in verse number 8, will read that he is anxious to make things right with those in his community. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Boy, that's great repentance there. Well, I would submit to you this morning that these are the sort of fruits that we should begin to see in a life that Jesus has entered 
It's one thing for me to proclaim to you that with God all things are possible, that God can save any man. But it's another thing for someone to say, I want eternal life. But we begin to never see these fruits in their lives. In fact, the modern church practice has taken this story and others like it. And we've developed methods that can produce some very religious seeming people that aren't actually changed people. Very good churchgoers. They, they know where to sit. They know when to stand. They know when to frown. They know when to smile. They know when to say, Amen, brother. Amen? See, you do. You know when to say it. It's always refreshing to me when someone, the Lord kind of connects someone to the church who doesn't know church. Especially an adult. They don't speak Christianese. They don't know why we do the things that we do. In fact, they don't even know you're not supposed to ask. Why do y'all do the things that you do? I love that. It usually reminds me of, like, maybe we need to change some things or do some things differently. But we have this logic in the modern church and we base these stories that, well, here is a man and we'll call Zacchaeus a seeker, right? Because he wanted to see Jesus. That's the epitome of a seeker, but we, we skip over one important part. Jesus said, no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. He just wanted to see a celebrity. He didn't want to see a savior. He wanted to see a miracle worker, not a life changer. He didn't want his life changed. He didn't want this guy at his house. I mean, at best, if he came to his house, it was like, hey, let me get some of my buddies over here and like you make a dove come out of a hat or something, Jesus. We know you can. This would be cool. I heard about your baptism. Three of them. I don't know that if it was three, just the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, you know. But this guy was... I, but in the modern church, we'd say, oh, he's a seeker. Here's a man who's a seeker. And what does he find? He climbed up that tree and he found Jesus. Praise the Lord. Bless his heart. Is that how the story reads? He got up the tree to get away from the people to get a good view at Jesus and kind of be off to himself. Any deer hunters in here? Okay, got some deer hunters. Anybody already killed some deer this year? I don't guess it's legal yet, is it? Kids. Juvenile. Juvenile. Did he already kill one? Hopefully tonight. Anybody else need to like... So you get up a tree. Why? When you go hunting, you're going to get up a tree? Why do you do this? From what? Well, you got visibility and then your smells higher you get, less you From squirrels and birds? Just deer. Do they fly? <laughs> I don't, I'm not a hunter. Do they climb trees? Right. So you get off the ground to hide yourself from things on the ground. Can you get with me here? Does Zacchaeus want to talk to Jesus today? I mean, he didn't climb up there and be like, Jesus, look at me, look at me. I scared some of you, didn't I? What's he doing? He moved. (laughs) No, I think he just wanted to watch the show. But in the modern church, we say this is a seeker. He found Jesus. 
And look, he began to do good works. That's what we've got to replicate in the church. And so we get you here. We make you feel bad. And we'll say, won't you come? Won't you come? And 30 minutes later, we're still saying, won't you come? While we're singing, just as I am without one plea. And finally, you're like, if I'm going to eat today, I better go down there. And I'm not a good person. I don't even have a suit on like that preacher does. And then you come down and we'll say, well, you say this prayer. And you know, I'll say that prayer if it gets me to steak. And you believe you're saved? I guess so. You, you're smiling. You must think I'm saved. You want to get baptized tonight? Well, not really, but I want to go home. And then every time you do something wrong, we'll say, wait, whoa, whoa, Christians don't do that. Christians don't do that. Before long, we've kind of molded and made you into someone who can fake it. Probably not very Christian at home. Probably not very Christian in your house. Or maybe not at work sometimes. Or you might have your own little crew of people that you hang around that like, they're like, yeah, he does that church stuff, but, but he's a good guy. And you know how to play the show. You know how to do the game. You know how to do all the right things when you need to do all the right things. But the one thing missing is the great, big, fat presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. See, it's not the preacher that should cause you to act different. The preacher can. I get invited to parties sometimes and I'll say, I, I would love to come. I like to dance as good as the next guy. <laughs> but something about the preacher being there will dampen the party. It just, it's just a thing. It really is. Your kids get married and you wonder why the preacher didn't come to the reception. It's not because I'm mad at you. It sounded like it was going to be a great party. And I didn't want to show up and keep somebody who was, you know, good golly Miss Molly. She was going to have a good time. But the preacher showed up and now she can't. So I go home and watch football and you could, you know, have a good time. But should we be operating under the presence of the preacher or the presence of the Holy Spirit? If we're not careful, we misinterpret this passage we miscommunicate this passage. We misappropriate this passage. And then we have this church full of church goers who don't actually know what I'm talking about when I say the Holy Spirit moves in and changes your life. Who can't get excited when we say the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. When we say, well, what's he all pumped up about this morning? I'm pumped up because the gates of hell are trying to prevail against the church. It's more obvious this time of year than any other time of the year. And man, all of a sudden, I'm just excited because I'm celebrating Reformation. Where at one point, it seemed like the church was on a downward slide. And all of a sudden, a guy says, knock, knock, knock on the front of a church. And he nailed some theses up. And people said, you know, he's right. And God began to work and move and change people's lives and change the church. And just revival spread. So much so that from 1500 to 2000s, we're still talking about it. If we're not careful, we're going to take the story of Zacchaeus and manipulate it in man's wisdom to the point that someday you show up to church and I get up here and talk about stuff that you have no clue. What in the world did he just say? But you feel like you did something religious, so you go home and when somebody says, are you a Christian? You, Yeah, I go to church. Brother Chance, he's my pastor. You ask him, I'm a good Christian. It's not the right answer, by the way. The right answer is, do you think I'm a Christian? I try to be a follower of Christ, but if you don't define me as a Christian, maybe I'm not. 
man wasn't a seeker. He was a rich man. He was part of an exciting day in his community. He was trying to see the latest and the greatest. This was entertainment for him. Jesus finds him. Verse 3 says, He sought to see Jesus who he was, and he could not because he was of little stature. He ran before, he climbed up in a sycamore tree for to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Jesus finds him. He just wanted to look on from a distance. Some of you are sitting here this morning and already this sermon from Luke chapter 19 has drawn attention to you. You came here, climbed up in your little tree, your self-sufficiency. You're doing your best. You're doing your good works. You're earning your way to heaven. And then all of a sudden the preacher starts talking about, no, that doesn't work. And you're like, oh man, the Titans play at 1230. I just wanted to come and get here. I got to come back and eat chili tonight. Hope I get some Reese's Cups. But now it's, now I've drawn attention to me. This is Zacchaeus. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. Zacchaeus hasn't even invited him to his house. In fact, we find that he only decides to do good works once righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, has entered his life. This whole course of events is opposite of what we're trying to accomplish with many of our current church practices. We've got to do this and we've got to do that and we're supposed to do this, we're supposed to do this. Why? Because. It's pretty clear in the scripture what the church is supposed to do and it's very simple. Preach the gospel. Tell the good news. The one thing we'll never get past no matter how well we plan and organize and figure out people in the Bible, because you can. They have things for pastors. I, believe it or not, you wouldn't know it by listening to me. I've sat in on these conferences of like how to be an effective communicator. That's why I talk words so good. There are things you do and you don't do and you can, you can motivate, manipulate and urge people in different ways, but none of this can get past depravity. You can convince, you can pry, you can pressure, but in the end, the only thing that passes our depravity is Christ's righteousness. Humans are not basically good. We mess up at times. Now we can communicate this with mothers here this morning. When that baby is first born, everybody says, oh, what a precious gift from the Lord. But you get with that mom about three weeks into this thing and she'll communicate to you that, no, this is a little reprobate who needs Jesus <laughs> with bloodshot, tired eyes. Now, we don't like to think of our children that way, but David said we were born in sin did my mother conceive me. This is the truth. We were born with a sin nature because in the Genesis 3, all men fell. And from the moment we were conceived and then born into the world, we were on a pathway to death. The only thing that saves us from spiritual death is when Jesus brings us alive. But we're not basically good. We've been taught that we're basically good 
You're going to mess up sometimes. You just learn from that and you try to do it better. You do the best you can. And at the end of the life, God knows your heart. Mm. Can't get the rest of those words out. It's kind of ugh, made me sick to say them. That's not what we believe. We believe that we are very good sinners. We're good at it. We like sinning. We do sins. We rebel against God, though we love Him and we want Him to love us. We rebel against God with our sinning. If, the fact, if it came down to the matter of it, do you pick sin or do you pick God? Nine times out of ten, a human being's going to pick sin. I'll say ten times out of ten in my own opinion. But for some reason, God let His Son die in our stead on the cross. He accepted His righteousness up against our sinfulness. He put it on our account instead of Jesus earned it. All we earned was death through our sinning. And because of this, God said, I'll remember your sins no more. He said, I'll put them behind my back where I can't see them. I'll put them in the depths of the sea of my forgetfulness. I will forget about your sinning. I will put your sins as far from me as the east is from the west. You can't program or curriculum that. It's just depravity. I was arguing, I've come around on the doctrine of total depravity, but early in my ministry, I didn't like the term total depravity. I was talking to Luther Kimbrough one day, and he said, yeah, but what part of you is not totally depraved? I was like, yeah, you win. Brother Kimbrough, you're right. I mean, I don't even know how I can argue with that. Now, there's scriptures that go with that. Humans are completely bad. If that bothers you this morning, then you probably need to be saved. See, humanism, secularism, would lead you to cause friction there because you said, well, now hang on a minute. What about, and you start put, putting in names there. Here's some names you bring out there. There's one that everybody always brings up. Come on, give it to me. Mother Teresa, that's the one. Who else was thinking Mother Teresa? What about Mother Teresa? And there might be some others. I, I don't know. A couple names came to my mind that would have got a good laugh there, but it would have offended half of you. So I'm, I bit my tongue. See, I'm working on this. That, that communication conference I went to is working some. Ain't God good. Amen, brother. Yeehaw! <laughs> oh, man. We are completely bad. See, talking during the preaching, we're all bad. All have sinned. There are none righteous. There are none good. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does that mean? All have sinned. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Now, when the New Testament says, as it is written, what is it pointing us toward? Old Testament. So the Old Covenant understanding was there is none righteous. New Covenant understanding is there is none righteous. So from Genesis to Revelation, God's point of view about humankind is what? There's none righteous. And I always write in my Bibles at Romans 3.10 where it says, no, not one. I add the word even. No, not even one. Because there's not even one. Outside of Christ. Romans 3, 11 and 12. There's none that understandeth. 
There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. It's convicting, isn't it? You show up to church, ready to worship the Lord, and you get to these verses, and it's like, man, I don't, I don't deserve to worship Him. But He lets me. Why? Because I'm good? No, because Jesus was good. Why can we call Jesus good? Because He's God. In and of ourselves, we cannot get to Jesus. But notice what Luke tells us about Zacchaeus in verse 4. This is the third thing I wanted to point out to you about him. And he ran before and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. He couldn't see Jesus because he was too short to see over the crowd. Now, Luke is just commenting on this man's physical stature, but we can be sure of an idea that this presents to us spiritually. We are physically and spiritually limited in coming to Jesus on our own. Jesus, though, has already made clear in chapter number 18 that nothing is impossible for him. So this brings us to Jesus in the passage. Verse 5, though Zacchaeus has a human limitation that would prevent him coming to Jesus on his own, we would say doctrinally it's total depravity. Verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. So he tells him to get out of the tree. Now, to say come down, Zacchaeus, come down from there. This is really counterproductive in the human sense. It wasn't a smart command. It wasn't logical for Jesus to say come down. He's not a very tall guy. He can actually only see and communicate with Jesus from up in this tree. This is working for him. I imagine Zacchaeus, he's not a dumb guy. He's a leader of men. He's very rich. He's done well for himself in life. He's a smart guy. He's probably thinking to himself, let's just talk. You want to talk to me, let's just talk. Because to come down, I won't be able to speak to you. Why should I come down, Jesus? Folks, I'll tell you this morning, that's typically the hardest thing for us. To come down. We think we're big. We like to think of ourselves and we like to be self-sufficient. Through our intellect and our wealth and our social status and our good works, we like to be self-sufficient. We like to be self-confident. I'm doing okay up here. I can see what I want to see. And really, this is better because up here, this is on my terms. What did Jesus communicate to Zacchaeus? God doesn't work on your terms. He works on His. You come down. Now, Think of the storyline here. Jesus is just 15 miles away. The last major event in his life. Raised Lazarus from the dead. Now there's that dead man. Could he say, I don't want to get up? (laughs) He's dead. He could do nothing. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, you come down. Same as he said to Lazarus. What did he say to him? Lazarus, come forth. And he got up. God works on His terms. We will have to humble ourselves and obey if we wish to be right with Him. Zacchaeus has run ahead of this crowd. He's snagged a good tree to watch Jesus. He's got His place. 
You guys ever been to a parade? That's a thing, right? A big parade, big city or Disney parade or one of these things. You've got to have a good place. And then once you got the good place, you kind of got to like fight for it, you know, like keep people out of your spot. And usually there's somebody who's got to go to the bathroom. Don't go to the bathroom, we'll lose our spot. He just wanted to observe and be entertained by Jesus. But Jesus is going to do better than that for Zacchaeus. Let me point your brains back to Luke 18 again. We started with this idea that with God all things are possible. The camel through the eye of the needle. Now go back to 1815. There's another similarity between Zacchaeus and what Jesus has just taught. 1815, they brought unto him the infants that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. So we learn from those verses that it requires childlike faith to enter Christ's kingdom. Now think of what we are observing here in regards to Zacchaeus. Is he he, he in his... Play clothes? Y'all know what play clothes are? What kind of clothes am I wearing? Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. And then when I got home as a boy in my Sunday go-to-meeting clothes, I wasn't allowed to play in these clothes because I'd get grass stains on the knees. And you're not allowed to do that. There are pants that you're supposed to get grass stains on the knees, and these are not those pants. So you go home and you put on your play clothes because you're a child and you want to (laughs) play. I still do this as an adult, but my version of what that means is different. I put on my nap clothes. (laughs) Zacchaeus is a leader in this town. He's politically connected. He's a wealthy man. He's in his work clothes, but he's playing like a child. Notice that. He ran ahead of the crowd. I'm going to get a good spot. He climbed a tree. Now, if we see John up a tree, you're going to get up a tree tonight and kill a deer, right, John? But if we walked out to church, used to at the old church, there's dogwood right out front. Brother Homer and I would usually comment about the children. They loved to play in that dogwood tree. Had low enough branches they could get up there. And, and some of us would always police them, don't break those branches. It's a pretty tree. But it wasn't uncommon to see some guys about John's age run out of church Climb up that tree. Now, if you walked out of that church and it was Brother Homer and I up that tree, <laughs> would that be uncommon? For sure. Y'all would say, what are they doing? I think we missed that in the little nursery tale of Zacchaeus, don't we? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree because the Lord he wanted to see it just seems like it should, it just should be that way. I mean, it's kind of like Teletubbies, these big blobs that are different colors that say la la all the time, walking around like this should be entertaining to humans. Like, why should this be entertaining to humans? I grew up in the He Man age. He had a big sword and he killed people. Four years old, that was it, you know. This is an odd thing. Why is, what is he doing? He's in his work clothes, he ran. <laughs> You, was, you didn't run like this in their culture. You don't run like this in our culture. You for sure didn't climb trees. 
Wiersbe, of all the commentators I read, summed this up better. To make the point that a man with status and wealth has become like a child to try and get a look at Jesus. Wiersbe says this, In the East, it is unusual for a man to run, especially a wealthy government official. Yet Zacchaeus ran down the street like a little boy following a parade. And he even climbed a tree. Curiosity is certainly characteristic of most children. And Zacchaeus was motivated by curiosity that day. John Calvin said this about our faith. He says, Curiosity and simplicity are a sort of preparation for faith. That's what Jesus just taught in chapter 18. Except you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom. So not only is Zacchaeus a rich man who is saved, which is as hard as a camel going through the eye of a needle, he's also an adult who becomes like a child and in faith is able to receive Christ. How does Jesus respond to this? Verse 5, for today I must abide at thy house. I'm going to your house today. Now, I was reading through this and I thought, how does Jesus even know this guy's name? He didn't say, you there. He didn't say, hey man. He says, Zacchaeus, you come down. Now, there may be a historical reason for that, but it was just a comfort to me. Jesus knew who he was. I think on the night that I got saved, one of the things that really convicted my heart was that I came to the realization that God knows who I am. It wasn't like this in mass type thing. Somebody here tonight's going to hell. No, it was, it was right in here and right in here. It was the Holy Spirit saying to me, you're going to hell. You need to be saved. Boy, it was, <laughs> it was warming and convicting all at the same time. It was that Same love that I knew through my parents as they would discipline me. I never thought my dad hated me because he spanked me. I always knew I did wrong and he's correcting me because he loves me and cares for me. When the Holy Spirit convicted me to salvation, it was as if Jesus was saying, Zacchaeus, how does he know my name? You come down. I'm going to your house today. He knows where I live. Mm. What a mighty God we serve. Jesus knew who he was and Jesus was intent on going to his house. Irresistible grace. Zacchaeus then joyfully receives Christ. While the onlookers scorned that he would go to this sinful man's house. Verse 6, and he made haste. And he came down and he received him joyfully. Now you can work with and tweak over the timeline of um, salvation. Steve Kimbrough and I, for about three months at one point, we, we worked on it. We, we, we just took a piece of paper and we wrote down what happens first. Do we, do we have faith and then we're made alive by the Holy Spirit? Then we confess and then we repent? Like, what order do the elements of salvation come into? We got mad at each other, then we made up, and then we got frustrated with the Scriptures, and then we made up with the Scriptures. And then what we finally concluded was this. It's one of those things within the incomprehensibility of God. Brother Scotty was talking to us about that a little bit earlier today. What humans need to know is it's, it's this all this one thing. We need to be saved and God saves us. Don't, don't mince around like this has to happen and that has to happen. Probably all of, all of you can tell your story and you could probably dictate it in different ways. But the one thing you know is I once was lost, but now I'm found. What did John Newton call that? Amazing grace. Zacchaeus 
made haste. He came down. He received Christ joyfully. Christ called him and he came and received him. Verse 7 though, when these around saw it, they began to murmur saying, he's going to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Meaning Jesus is going to be a guest with Zacchaeus. Now, the first thing we see here is how one prepared by God for receiving Christ should react with haste. They come down, meaning they give up their self-sufficiency. They give up their own earning. They're working their way to heaven. They stop that and say, there's nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling, right? They give this up and then they receive Christ with joy. But now we notice how religion reacts in verse number seven when a life is being changed. They begin to murmur. You see, religion would take this text and flip-flop verse 6 and verse 8 around verse 7. So you would read verse 5 that Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And then you would read verse 8 that said, so Zacchaeus did all of these good works. And then Jesus went to his house because he did these good works. And religion was able to condone it because, well, obviously Zacchaeus deserved it. Don't you love it when Jesus just kind of smacks our religion in the face? And says, actually, this is how it's going to be. I am righteous, you are not. You can't earn righteousness. Even in trying to be righteous, you never will because you have a sinful heart. (laughs) I'm going to be your righteousness, so come on and let's eat. Mm, It's wonderful. Grace doesn't work the way religion works. You don't clean up do good, become religious, and then you're able to receive Christ. No, one day Christ just comes to your house. And all you can do is just joyfully receive him. Do you remember when Christ came to your house? Remember that, Brother Scotty? I've heard Scotty and Penny come tell this story. Y'all, were you seeking? You weren't seeking him. He just, he just came by one day. We read about the blind man a few chapters back. He's He's just sitting there wanting some help. And all of a sudden he hears a commotion and he says, what's going on? And they said, Jesus is coming by. And he said, Jesus. He wasn't expecting Jesus that day, but Jesus just came by. As we think of the physical here, we apply it spiritually. Zacchaeus was put on the spot. He did. <laughs> Ladies, you'll appreciate this. He didn't get to run home and clean up the house in a hurry in preparation for Jesus. Oh, quick, shove that under the couch cushions. Get the cat out. No, we didn't do this. Jesus said, I'm going to your house. What do we mean that to say? Why do we say that to me? Jesus would have seen all his dirty little secrets. Often the reason for our self-sufficient resistance of true salvation is because we think we've heard, hid these things from Christ. I promise you this morning, he just already knows. And still he went to the cross and willingly gave his life. When he had shed his blood, he said, it is finished. And he meant it for you. You came to church today for some other reason, but Jesus has shown up and he said, I'm going to your house today. You're going to leave him here? You're going to take him home with you? Many misunderstand this scenario, but Jesus is clear. Look at verse 9. Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He says, today salvation has come to this house, meaning Zacchaeus. Today has come to him. 
He was born from Abraham's line, but now he is untied spiritually. His only role here in this story is obedience. Come down. Stop trying to do it on your own. I'm coming to your house. Receive him there. Philip Graham Ryken wrote this. He says, theologians sometimes wonder which comes first, faith or repentance, repenting or believing. But Luke is showing us that they both go together. It is impossible to repent without believing or to believe without repenting. Repentance means turning away from sin. But how can you truly repent without trusting that God will forgive you in Christ? When you put your faith in Jesus, what are you trusting him to do if not to save you from your sin? John Murray said much briefer, the faith that is unto salvation is a penitent faith and the repentance that is unto life is a believing repentance. Amen. This, Jesus explains here in verse 9 and 10, is the purpose of his coming. To seek and to save the lost. He doesn't come to fulfill legalistic religious demands or to even cater to the religious experts. In fact, he seems to always be sparring with those guys. His purpose was not to reform the Jewish religion. His purpose was not to prove the Pharisees wrong. His purpose was not to bring in a military and a political kingdom. His purpose was to bring salvation to lost people. Jesus dedicated the three years that he had on earth to finding people who knew they were lost and showing them God's way of salvation, the way of repentance and faith. Before his ascension, he passed that purpose then along to the church. He says, wait, and then you will be endued with power from on high. And then he went and the angel said, why do you stand here gazing? He's gone, but he'll come back in like manner. And then they waited and then the Holy Spirit came. If you're unsaved here today, I would remind you that today is the day of salvation according to the Scriptures. Christ died for you to be saved. God wants to do the impossible in your life. Camel through the eye of a needle. An adult acting like a child. Respond to His grace and faith. If Jesus came seeking to save Zacchaeus, then He is willing and able to save any lost sinner. He's willing to save you, even after everything you've done to turn away from God. You're not a hopeless case. No more than Zacchaeus was. You're not a hopeless case. He wasn't a hopeless case. No one is a hopeless case. Jesus Christ has come to save even the most desperate sinners. Those of you who are saved today and sure of it, pray right now to Jesus. Lord, help me to daily fulfill the purpose you've left me. Seeking and saving the lost. And help me to avoid the pitfalls of legalistic, graceless religion. Let's stand and pray.